Portland is a baseball town. Our secretary didn't have anybody on the phone. (laughs) There was nobody on the phone. They were just egging me along. So they brought a little short, chubby guy in with the name Peters and put him (laughs) in my place and sent me to double A ball. Two fans, one mission to bring Major League Baseball to Oregon, fueled by Guardian Games and Athletic Field Design. This is the Diamonds and Roses podcast. Without further ado, your hosts, Ben and Dave. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Diamonds and Roses podcast. As always, I am your host, Ben. And I am Andrew. And we're here with a great episode today, really good content, and we got a really interesting person on the other end that we're going to be interviewing. Wouldn't you say so, Andrew? Oh yeah, that's for sure, that's for sure. Andrew and I are going like solo at this today. You know, Dave, Dave's probably locked up somewhere, you know, or in the gutter. What do you think, Andrew? Yeah, he's probably somewhere in the, the basement or kind of locked in somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> His wife won't let him or let him out. <laughs> so with that said, um, we wish you luck, Dave. We'll see you soon. Yeah, um, see you soon, Dave. So our our, our, epi- our episode today, this particular week and next week is going to be uh, revolved around one particular individual, and I'd like to introduce our guest on this episode, Daniel Jurek. Is that how you spell your last name, Daniel? Yeah, you nailed it, Ben. Nice, nicely done. All right. Well, uh, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, it it's, it's great. We, I know we've met in person uh, at the Northwest Scout Games. We saw you there, and uh, both Andrew and I saw you there, and we got to run in each other, and we're like, hey, we've got to do an episode. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. A um, little nervous. This is only the uh, second podcast I've ever done. Uh, had a brief appearance with our PBR California guys before, so got some good feedback. They critiqued me a little bit, so I'll have to play this back for them when it's all said and done, and hopefully I uh, improved upon you know, what I was putting out there earlier. No worries. I, I think that you're going to do probably better than Andrew and I. We may, you know, we may mess up here and there, but we're going to try our best. All right, right Andrew? That's right. <laughs> Andrew, why don't you get us kicked off, man? Uh, let, 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 let's talk with our, our guest. Yeah, so, uh, Dan, so uh, just talk about uh, your early uh, baseball career, uh, Little League. Uh, when did you start getting interested in baseball? Did you play Little League? Yeah, uh, I I got involved with T-ball prior to that because it was just kind of what all the kids did at the time. And eventually it just transitioned into Little League, you know, once you get into third, fourth and fifth grade. Um, From there, kind of developed into more of a a passion, I guess you would say. Went from something that all your buddies were just doing and that kind of everyone had like a rite of passage to get to Little League. Um, and then when I was about 12, I really kind of bought into baseball and fell in love with it and stayed active with like basketball and did a year of football and all that as well. But after little league, got into, you know, teener league, which is what we called it playing on a regulation diamond and really just continued to feel very strongly about it. I love being at the diamond. I love being on the field, all the, all the little things that come involved with, with being a, a baseball player. Uh, the only tricky part was it was in New York state. So not a big window to play. So you're obviously doing other things, you know, indoors, other sports, things like that. Um, but early on, it was just kind of a, a passion for Little League and things like that. And ultimately just kind of grew from there. Yeah. Where in, where in New York are you from? I grew up in Binghamton, New York, which okay. is uh, considered to be in the upstate region. Yep. Uh, about 
roughly three hours uh, west of New York City. Mm-hmm. So like three hours, like north northwest in New York City. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, northwest. But my my hometown is actually really close to the Pennsylvania border. Yeah, so you're really so, south of Buffalo, correct? Yeah, very south of Buffalo, um, about an hour north of Scranton, PA. Mm-hmm. In case anyone out there is a heavy office listener so, or washer, I should say. Yeah, but you you get them cold winters. I mean, I as you may have or may not have heard, you know, I grew up in New, in Vermont, so mm-hmm. I can get the fact of uh, them cold northeast winters, and especially there in Binghamton, you guys can get some of that lake effect snow kind of coming down onto you. So. Uh, yeah, I can understand the short season that you yeah. get there. Growing up in New York, you, did, were you like a were you a Yankees fan? Were you a Mets fan? Or were you outside? Were you Pennsylvania because you were near that that border? Were you like a Pirates or Philadelphia fan? Um, no, I followed the Yankees really early on because when I hit the like ten, eleven, twelve year old mark, so I was born in eighty seven, and the Yankees won the World Series, I believe, in ninety six. And that was the year where Jeter kind of came into the mix full time. And they had Mariano Rivera, um, who was the setup man, actually wasn't quite closing yet. And, you know, Paul O'Neill and all those guys. So they were a bit of a dynasty at the time. And being in New York, it was kind of impossible not to at least follow them and root for them. Um, So early on, got a little bit bandwagon-ish with with the Yankees. um, And then kind of transitioned to just being a baseball fan in general. Mm-hmm. Um, don't really have a, a specific loyalty or allegiance to one one team. I just love watching the game. Um, and honestly, I watch more college baseball now than I do professional baseball. But uh, to get back to your question, early on, the Yankees were, were the team to follow back then for sure. Yeah. Yeah, they were definitely hot back then. Yeah, they yeah. had a bunch of championships. Mm-hmm. bunch of championships and it was uh it was that time before you had like the yes network and all these individual sports packages so it was like oh, yeah. it was a big deal when baseball was on it wasn't just something you took for granted or you could watch all the time yeah exactly because the uh, sunday night baseball like monday you know it just it wasn't it wasn't like as prevalent like meaning that mm-hmm. like you, you like you just said you didn't have your specific sports networks but like Except for the Braves at the time, who were on uh, TBS or the uh, Cubs, the Cubs. On WGN network. I mean, those were the mm-hmm. only two big teams, and maybe the Red Sox had Nesson at the time. I mean, that would probably be the only three teams that I would know that had a really like popular sports network at the moment. Um, but, but anyways, back to you. Uh, mm-hmm. Growing when you're at those early stages of life, did you have a specific player um, that stood out to you that that kind of like was a bait not like a role model as a human being, but maybe a role model like a baseball type role model that you'd like to you know mimic after? Yeah, actually, getting back to the Yankees, my favorite player growing up was Paul O'Neill. Okay. Um, Honestly, and it was simply because of how intense he was Mm -hmm. and watching him smash water coolers and, you know, break bats and things like that. uh, I kind of had the same mentality as a young kid early on. And it wasn't it wasn't about uh, being an issue or lashing out at an umpire or teammates or anything. It was just the expect the expectations you have for yourself and the emotion and passion that you have for the game. I don't know why, but it just really resonated with me how hard he played and how he kind of approached his business. And I really just 
kind of did the same thing early on. So I was like, hey, I guess this is okay. If a big leaguer can do it, then I guess I can too, um, which isn't the best uh, train of thought to have mm-hmm. as a 12 year old. So um, definitely had some moments where I need to be toned down a little bit or get lectured on some uh, sportsmanship and anger management. But all in all, it, it worked out. So uh, yeah, Paul O'Neill was a guy that I really, really enjoyed watching play early on. What position? What position did you start off playing, and is that the position that you held up through your career, or did you, you know, or is it something that you just kind of just started in? Uh, I started at first base because I was tall and slow, and at that young age, if you're a big target and you can at least catch the ball regularly, you're probably gonna wind up at first base. Um, so that was kind of where I began. Uh, dabbled in the outfield a little bit, did some catching, was never really a left side infielder um, just because I'm not athletic enough mm-hmm. and got into pitching, I guess, late by by most standards where I didn't really settle in as a true pitcher until I was 12 or 13. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. And even then, uh, I wasn't a PO. Like, I wasn't a great position player. I can't hit. But I was serviceable enough to stay active in other positions. Mm-hmm. So I would pitch, but then I would play the field, and I kind of kept that going. Uh, honestly, until my senior year of high school, where I pretty much focused mostly on pitching. And then when I got to college, it was just primary. I was strictly a pitcher. Yeah. Um, now let's let's jump into let's jump into high school. I I, was, <laughs> I read. Is it Vestal call high school that you went to? Yeah, Vestal. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it said that you were a varsity player for three seasons on uh, on the squad there. Um, mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about uh, about your time uh, in high school and, and kind of what what, co- what the coach was like. Uh, so my coach John, uh, his nickname is Tank. John Tank Anderson, very laid back guy, easygoing. Um, more of a player's type of coach, just good vibes, easy energy, not a drill sergeant, yell at you type. So the overall vibe and environment was pretty comfortable, pretty laid back, uh, but competitive because our area had a pretty pretty good competitive landscape of baseball. Mm-hmm. There were some good local teams, some good local talent, and everyone took it very seriously. Uh, I did not play much as a sophomore or junior Um we had a good team and there was just a couple guys ahead of me that were just better than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never really busted through or had a breakout at any point in my, uh, sophomore or junior year, my summer, uh, heading into my senior year really kind of came into my own as a pitcher primarily. Um, and kind of figured some stuff out, got a little stronger, accumulated more innings. So when it came time to be a senior, uh, back in 2006, uh, I had a really strong year uh, on the mound, and that was that was probably the moment where I knew I definitely wanted to continue with baseball in college, and just had to figure out if that would be an option, and then if so, you know, where I would ultimately end up. So, so what did you do to improve yourself after your junior season to get to your senior season? You said you got stronger. Uh, did you do a lot of practicing on techniques or mechanics? Not really. I just kept playing. Uh, I know that seems like a silly answer, but um, when you get into the summer of your junior year, all the guys that were seniors and upperclassmen are no no longer on your team. So just by virtue of those guys moving on and not being on the roster anymore, I had to pitch. Mm-hmm. Like I had, there was really no gain around it. There was no one else to accumulate innings. And given the fact that I didn't pitch a lot in the springtime, 
I was pretty fresh. I was good to go. I didn't have a lot of mileage on my arm. Um, so by having to pitch, I just got the experience. Um, with the way the weather works, a lot of times guys hit their stride later in the summer because of how you're, you're, you develop and you can find that arm strength. You work through dead arm. You get to throw more. A high school season is almost just like spring training. Mm -hmm. So in the summer, uh, I was pitching more. My arms started to feel better. And you're you're not worried about school. You're not going to class. You don't have uh, a hectic schedule. You really can get into the routine of baseball. So you're playing every day. You're playing more often. It's better weather. And just a lot of things kind of kind of came into place for that summer season. Okay, well, so you we were pretty, very focused in yeah. the summer. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I was probably pretty boring to grow up with because we just didn't do family vacations in the summer. We would get away for a weekend or stuff like that. But, you know, my parents thankfully supported me and everything I did and they love just baseball in general. So, mm -hmm. That's um, awesome. yeah, yeah. Really lucky growing up and all, and all my friends were doing the same thing. So it mm -hmm. was just normal. It was normal to, you know, commit to your team, play baseball all summer and really not deviate too far from that plan. What was uh, what was the pitch that you really stuck with, and either either that or what's something that you worked on developing in the summer that you became, you know, more accurate with, and you, you felt more comfortable throwing? What was that one pitch of yours? Uh, you know, for me, it was always my fastball, and I was never a high velocity guy. I was low to mid eighties in high school, and even at my hardest, I would throw you know ninety to ninety one, maybe touch ninety two, mm -hmm. which today is, you know, extremely below average. Um, but I always had pretty good command of my fastball and especially to my glove side. So my bread and butter pitch or my go-to pitch would simply just be a low and away fastball to a right-handed hitter. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was just very proficient at getting it at the knees on the outer third w with a high frequency. Um, nothing special about it, nothing flashy about it, but that set me up to do other things. Mm -hmm. Once once I had the fastball established and we kind of figured I needed to add another wrinkle or get better in a way, um, I had a, an assistant coach that taught me a slider. Primarily, I'd been a curveball guy, never really got comfortable with the changeup. When I learned a slider or you know a slurve-type breaking ball, that gave me uh, an out pitch to kind of pair with my fastball. Okay. Um, and, I, and I started throwing it late, which was good because it probably promoted – you know, some arm health and some proper, mm -hmm. you know, mechanics. Because I threw a ton of fastballs. So when I did transition to that slider, my, my mechanics were pretty tuned and my muscle memory had kind of been built up at that point yeah. that it wasn't necessarily that it was such a great pitch, but it really uh, mirrored and tunneled with my fastball. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of, you know, fastball slider guy one, once we got to that point. Yeah. When I know when I was younger, it was more focus oriented on just, getting out there, getting reps as far as pitching, but not necessarily focused in on learning that those different style pitches until kind of like later on in your career. Cause I know like I pitched in little league and it was much like stay away from the fat, stay away from curveballs and anything else, mm -hmm. just focus in on the fastball and not in shoulder strength, just kind of making sure you're not ruining your arm. Is that kind of a, a similar experience that you had or was it just you just just didn't really like decide to throw those types of pitches until later on? Um, it's a little bit of everything, and the difficult part is if you're winning games and you're successful doing a particular thing, it can be tricky to have to adjust. So, for example, if you're a young kid and you can win with your fastball, 
you know, the coaches want to win games and you want to win games. So mm-hmm. you're, pro- you're, you're probably just going to stick with your fastball because you're being successful with it and you're not being forced to develop a changeup or a breaking ball or whatever, whatever other secondary pitch it may be. Um, so for me, the main factor was I needed to get better. And that was kind of what led to developing that pitch late. Uh, I was never worried about hurting my arm by throwing a curveball or, or anything like that. I know um, that's the general consensus is that if you do that stuff too young, it, it could be detrimental to you. Um, that was never really a concern for me, probably because arm injuries weren't as prevalent back then. Um, and I didn't throw very hard, so I probably avoided injury in that sense too. Um, so that that was kind of how I developed, you know, those secondary pitches. It was just, I was getting older, I had the fastball, and now I was at that window where I needed to find a way to get a little bit better and differentiate myself. Okay. Well, let's, let's finalize up uh, your, your high school career here, and mm-hmm. let's talk about your senior year. And, and, and one question that I have uh, about your coach, the coach that you had, tell us, um, well, let's finalize up your high school career first. So let's mm-hmm. finalize up your senior year. Yeah, I got to my senior year um, on the heels of a, a good basketball season. So I played basketball all through high school as well. And I think that made me a little bit more athletic, more conditioned, uh, kept me fresh. And by the time I got to my senior year, I think my, I started to grow into my frame a little bit, add some weight. Uh, and really, I just started throwing a little bit harder than I ever had before mm-hmm. uh, to the point where if I was on a, a full week of rest, with like my normal cycle, I would be, you know, 84 to 85, maybe touch 86, uh, and then pitched in the 80 to 84 range. And I had never put up those numbers before. So immediately I was just really confident in myself because I could mm-hmm. always throw strikes. I could always locate my fastball. Now I was adding enough velocity to get away with some more mistakes and also get more strikeouts. So early on, I had a couple really good starts uh, with like double digit strikeouts and, you know, we were winning games and I really just kind of bought in at that point. I was like this, I don't know how good I'm going to be or what the future might hold, but like for right now, I've got a very good team. I feel healthy. I'm getting stronger. You know, we're winning a lot of games. Let's really just make this as special of a year as possible. Uh, and we, you know, won our section, advanced the state playoffs, lost in the state, uh, you know, quarterfinals, I think, or something like that. Yeah. Um, but I think it was just early on, I was healthy, I was throwing well, I was throwing harder. Um, and it just kind of everything worked out with the team and, and things like that. So uh, the, the mental side of it, like the confidence really allowed me to uh, elevate and believe in like what I was doing physically on the mound. So mm-hmm. uh I went uh, 10 and one uh, when it was all said and done. Uh, got lucky. I snaked a couple wins in relief. I wasn't starting, you know, 10 to 12 games over the course of the year, but that was a, a really special year for me uh, for a lot of reasons. Yeah, I read that you were a third team off state that yeah. season. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I didn't even really know about that until way after the fact. Uh, back then, there wasn't really so well there was no social media but there wasn't a lot of high school coverage so i was just shocked that at some point my name had come up or uh they were doing stats and then you know keeping those stats and comparing them to other guys across the state it was just very like difficult at the time to to know that was going on because you just didn't see it 
mm-hmm. very often. Yeah. And there, there were exceptions. We had uh, a couple, uh, you know, Jimmy Johnson was a big leaguer that came out of our area. He was like the state player of the year, but that was like a fifth round pick out of high school and a future big leaguer. So the bar between him and everyone else is obviously very spread out. You just didn't have a great feel for what an all state kid was going to be or, or so on and so forth. So yeah, that was a cool way to kind of cap off a, an enjoyable year. Yeah, it must have been a really good feeling to hear your name. Yeah, D- definitely, definitely. And I think that year too, um, Dylan Batansis, you know, of the Yankees was the state player of the year. So he was first team All State pitcher of the year because he was from New York City. Um, and I remember looking at some of the names on the list, and I wish I could go back and remember them now. But that was definitely one that stood out in addition to a few others. That's Whoa, pretty silly. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Before we get to our little subject that I like to, you know, part of this podcast, not subject, but part of this podcast I like to call Ask Dan Three Questions. Mm-hmm. So it's three random questions to get to know Dan a little bit better. But before we get that, I want to ask, um, what's one leadership style that you learned from your head coach in high school? Uh, I think the biggest, if you consider this a leadership style, is just lead by example mm-hmm. and just if you do the, if you do your job, if you perform on the field, if you get things done, that can be a form of leadership if you're not very outspoken. And mm-hmm. I'm not a big, I'm not a big rah rah pep talk kind of guy. I just like to perform, and set an example that way. So, and that was kind of synonymous with a couple other coaches I had growing up. Was just hey, just just get it done. Like leaders perform, they get they get the most out of what they're doing and, and they make plays, whatever that may, whatever sport or whatever situation it may be. So I think uh, lead by example was something that really resonated with me early on. Okay. Okay. I can deal with that. So let's get into our, uh, our, our part of the podcast. That, like, like I said, I'd like to call three questions to get to know you a little bit better before we take a quick break. So my first question that I have for you is what is your favorite baseball movie? The Sandlot. I just watched that the other night with the kids. <laughs> Epic movie. Yeah, I think it would have to be The Sandlot. Only other one I can think of that might compare would be Major League. That is probably... <laughs> yeah, Those are some good choices there. There's some great yeah. choices. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and Ben, the hat you're wearing? <laughs> yeah, The Sandlot. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Beast. So, um, the next question is, if you were a superhero and could have any power, what would it be? Man, this is such a cliche. I think being able to fly is probably like the number one answer that's given. I got to believe. And I, I think I would have to stick with that. I think being able to fly would be pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'd kind of like to fly, but I'm a little afraid of heights. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel like being able to fly would, ho- I, I have a thing with heights too, would mm-hmm. hopefully negate that. It's like, oh, I could fly. I got nothing to worry about now. What about you, Andrew? Uh, that's a good question. Maybe, uh, become invisible. Yeah. Flying would be cool, but yeah, being invisible would have its advantages Yeah. or just move really fast. <laughs> yeah. So my, my last question before we take a break, mm-hmm. Dan, is if they were to make a movie about your life, yep. who would play you and why? I would say Jason Statham because he's bald. <laughs> well, that's a that's a good answer. Yeah, so, it was either him or The Rock, but I'm just not big enough and strong enough to get you know Dwayne Johnson to fill in for my shoes. But 
I had to go with a bald guy and wait, wait, Jake. wait. You could you could do early early years The Rock when he the early was rock. like, yeah, <sighs> yeah. But I feel like early Rock had some had some hair on top of his head. He did. He had like this. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, with that said, we're gonna take a quick break and hear from our sponsor. Sick of overpriced apparel and equipment? Looking for a company who prides themselves in quality products and services? Look no further than our friends at Hit Factory Athletics. Created by a pro ball player, born purely from the love of the game, they exist to serve players and fans of the game. Take it from me, Ben. Hit Factory Athletics prides itself in quality and service. Head on over and check them out at www.hitfactoryathletics.com. That's www.hitfactoryathletics.com. At checkout, enter promo code DRPODCAST, that is D-R-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and receive a 10% discount upon checkout. Join the legends with Hit Factory Athletics. All right, we are back, and this week we are talking to none other than Dan Jerk of Prep Baseball Report, but we're not going to get into Prep Baseball Report this episode. We've been talking with Dan about his early years in high school. And even before that, haven't we, Andrew? Yeah, we talked about his early years, uh, Little League, T-ball, up to high school, and his uh, marvelous senior season. So that's where we left off. Yeah, so uh, how about you take us in uh, into going into college there, Andrew? Uh, So uh, going to college, uh, so before we go there, uh, out of high school, were 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 you recruited uh, uh, heavily, or were you just picking and choosing? Uh, what was the experience like uh, at the senior year of high school, where you want to go to the next level? Yeah, so senior year of high school, I started looking at schools um, for basketball and baseball. Um, I wasn't a big time basketball prospect by any means. I was a Division three, you know, level type of player. But in the winter, I wasn't. So I didn't know I was going to have such a good baseball season in the springtime. I couldn't predict that. So I was exploring options as a basketball player as well. And honestly, just made some visits and, uh, you know, sent out some video, emailed a little bit, but mostly it was just kind of sending some stuff in the mail that was very generic. And it was all the local schools nearby. Uh, I had the benefit of having a a really good team and uh, a really good player uh, as my teammate when I was a senior. And by just virtue of that, we had a lot of colleges coming to watch us. A lot of coaches were swinging by, watching practice, watching games. So there was a couple other guys on the team that just benefited from the exposure that this kid brought. Um, then you fast forward to the spring season in order, you know, getting into high school, there, there wasn't a great way to kind of get your name out or to showcase yourself or do anything like that. Like travel ball wasn't very pre- prevalent in the area. You know, everyone played Legion. So we had, you know, one local division one school, but other than that, you really just kind of had to put some information out there for yourself. Uh, long story short, I just researched some schools that I was familiar with that had the academic major I wanted. And I sent out some VHS tapes of myself throwing a bullpen. And if you have some young listeners, I don't know if they'll know what a VHS, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly what I was going to say. I don't know if they would know that. Probably not. (laughs) That was my recruiting tape. It was a literal tape, and uh, I sent it to St. John Fisher College. I had family in the area. Um, it was a small private school. Uh, they had baseball. It was a good fit academically, and, and thankfully the coach took a liking into me, and 
I made a visit, had a great time. They had, the baseball program was on the upswing, and it just kind of fell into place. But mm-hmm. I was pretty much uncommitted up until May 1st of my senior year, which was the, the d- d- deadline for a deposit. So oh, wow. um, really kind of went oh. down to the wire at the time, but it worked out. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. nice. So you found a good home in uh, St. John Fisher College? Yeah, yeah. Kind of uh, can't imagine going through the process again and, and ending up somewhere else or having a better experience mm-hmm. anywhere else. Well, so. let's, talk a li- let's talk a little bit about that experience now. Um, mm-hmm. So ta- what, what really like brought you there? Like what was it about the school itself that just felt, gave you that connection to it? The size of the school was easy to adjust to. So it's a private school and we had about 22 to 2,500 undergrad students and just under 3,000 when you included graduate students. Uh, not being from a big area or a densely populated like mm-hmm. town, that was an easy adjustment for me. I never wanted yeah. to go to an Ohio State or a Penn State or a Michigan or, or anything on that scale. Uh, so the size of the school was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew I liked the area. I was far enough away from my parents where I didn't feel like I was in the backyard, but close enough where in an emergency I could get home, you know, in the same day if I needed to. Yeah. And also the the fit that I, I had coming in with the baseball program with what I had aspirations to do and what they were looking for at the time really lined up. And I had a, a really good relationship with the head coach who was recruiting me. Um, we kind of hit it off right out of the gate and, I felt like all those factors were just too strong to ignore. Mm-hmm. So you're you're going your first year uh, at at St. John Fisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that that change from high school to now playing in the collegiate level and what that transition was like for you. It was it was scary. Um, you know, you're you're going to college classes for the first time. You're staying in a dorm with strangers. And you go to the baseball field, and for the very first time, you're not the biggest, strongest guy there, um, and not even close. So, mm-hmm. you know, having to take all those factors in and still be able to perform was definitely a little daunting early on. The best thing that happened was we had to get out and play right away, uh, because with the fall season being short, you're really forced into action early on. So thankfully, mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of time to wait or get anxious or get nervous about what was about to happen, you just had to go play. And once I was able to get on the mound, pitch and fall ball, go through some scrimmages, have a little bit of success and, you know, get knocked around enough where I got humbled, but not discouraged. Um, once we started playing the game, my, my comfort level significantly increased. You got into your routine with practice, lifting, when you're going to eat dinner, you know, you're making friends quickly you're getting into routine with uh, your classes. So there's a lot of things you have to adjust to early on, baseball being one of them. And for me, once you can just start playing the game and you're physically able to do things about it and you don't just have to worry or think about stuff in your mind, life becomes a little bit easier. So that was the biggest uh, thing at the time. It's like, just got to get out there, play. It's the same game. You got to do the same stuff and mm-hmm. find you know, little ways to adjust and get better along the road. What was uh, what was your f- kind of favorite experience um, playing college baseball? What's that one thing that sticks out to you the most? 
just the friendships that you make and being in a clubhouse and on the bus and staying in hotel rooms with guys that, you know, ultimately ended up becoming your best friends and you end up going to their, you know, being in their weddings and doing a bunch of fun stuff over the course of four years and beyond. That's, that's what I take away from it the most, you know, working out late nights, working out early mornings, running till you can't feel your lungs, like all the stuff you have to go through, you're doing it with your best friends. Mm -hmm. And we all had a wide range of experiences uh, on the spectrum throughout those, those four years and baseball pretty much played a role in all of them. So after the fact, when you're not in college anymore, like the thing you have, you still have that, those friendships and the Mm -hmm. bonds with your teammates. So that was, that was the most important thing for me. And it still is to this day. Mm -hmm. What are, uh, what are some things that if you could tell your younger self, having gone through that college baseball experience, Hey self, if, when you were, if I was younger and I was back in high school, these are the things that I would change to make my game better. So this way you can share with our listeners some things that they might take and they might you know, use to help themselves get better as a younger athlete. Uh, first thing would be if you're going to end up pitching, throw more change-ups. <laughs> that would be the number one thing I would tell myself. I should have thrown my change-up more often and learned how to have a better change-up. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyone that's out there listening, if you're thinking of how to develop or get better on the mound – Throw your change up, and every time you think you've thrown it enough, just throw it some more. Uh, the second thing would probably be if something's important to you and it's a goal or something you want to achieve, just prioritize it and realize that every decision you make either brings you closer to it or further away from that goal. And as long as you can live with the consequences of not making it or coming up short, then that's fine. And, you know, I'm not. I don't want to tell people what should be important in their life, but once you identify something as important to you, now the question is like, what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's important. Just know that every decision you make from what you eat, how much you sleep, what your grades are is going to have an impact on what that goal may be. And just don't lose sight of that, you know, for, you know, temporary uh, distractions or fixes or whatever the case may be. Okay. Um, so your senior season, uh, a little bit about what I was reading, uh, you were named the college's male athlete of the year mm-hmm. um, and the Empire Conference player of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you went 7-3 and three with a 2.00 ERA. Uh, so, you know, kind of what, what, what was that like for you to be, to hear that you were named the college's male athlete of the year? That was a huge honor and, and a really big surprise uh, just simply based on the fact that like in the calendar year, like when you typically have those awards, it's tough to uh, get it as a, as a spring athlete because the fall and the winter takes place so much earlier. Typically, those guys have a, a bigger track record of playing. So mm-hmm. we were still in season, I think, when, we, when they actually gave that award or, or maybe it was after the fact, but it's just harder to get it as a spring athlete typically. So... The fact that I was even being considered was was uh, a huge honor and just it just really cool, like just a very humbling, cool experience. You know, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily set individual awards as a goal, but obviously if you, you get them, it, it doesn't suck. So, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, was that was a nice little you know accolade to to get. 
Now, there were there were a couple other statistics that we had, Andrew, and I think that you had those on your paper. What, what were they for, for the school? Do, do you recall? Uh, uh, three-time all-conference. So you were uh, definitely recognized in, your, in the Empire 8 uh, conference. So within the league, you were doing well. Mm-hmm. That's one of the honors. Yeah, and um, our, our conference was pretty top-heavy. There were a few teams that, you know, would kind of dominate that awards list just by virtue of having the best records and, you know, the best statistics and things like that at the end of the day. So um, that was definitely cool. And I think it, it took me a while to ascend to, like, first-team all-conference where I had, like, some honorable mentions and, like, second-team uh, accolades prior to my senior year. So um, I think anytime you're doing well within a conference season, that's always important and crucial because it typically means you're going to end up in the postseason. So it was, it was always cool to receive those recognitions and, and be looked at uh, in that sense. So so how, how did your teams do in the postseason? Did your teams go, uh, make it there? My freshman year was actually the first time we ever advanced to the NCAA tournament. So a little background on our school, we were in a conference that did not have an automatic qualifier or a conference tournament. So in order to get to the NCAA tournament, you had to get an at-large bid. And Division Three baseball has a, a tricky way to navigate that where there's a certain amount of bids for certain types of schools. We qualified for a bid from a school that does not have a conference tournament. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're in a very like small window to kind of get selected. Uh, my freshman year was the first time we had ever been to the NCAA tournament. So that was huge for us as youngsters to experience and be a part of. And it was also a great send off for the seniors who built the program to a level that made us want to go there coming out of high school. Yeah. You know, Cause if they're, if they're a sub 500 team, there's really not a lot of excitement about the program and we're not, we're not probably not drawn to it, but the guys that came before us and had established the reputation and the tradition, you know, had to get, had the chance to go out in the postseason for the very first time. Mm-hmm. Um, sophomore and junior year kind of took a step back uh, both years and fell short of that postseason bid until senior year again where we went to the NCAA tournament for the second time in school history and second time in four years and we were actually uh, runners up in the New York regional and you know made it to the last day of the regional it was an eight team double elimination tournament uh, and we got knocked out by the eventual national runner-up. So wow. had a good year. Yeah, put a lot of fight into it. You know, maybe if we're in a different region or a different uh, bracket, we we advance further to the World Series. But we ran into a a good squad and gave them everything we can handle, and didn't have any regrets about you know how that season ended for us. We got a couple more things before we uh, we we let you go on this particular episode. And um, first of all, you know, I, I was just looking at some some statistics for school uh you ranked first in strikeouts at one point with 202 you had also with 22 wins and you pitched 226.1 innings in college now that's all that's a lot of innings pitched my question to you because andrew and i were we we were talking about this separately at one point we were wondering because Colleges all have a fall fall ball, and then they have spring ball. Mm-hmm. Were, were, were the fall ball statistics included in here, to your knowledge, or were these just spring ball? 
No, any statistic would be just strictly from the spring season, mm-hmm. at least for what we were doing at the time. So, so you, so you clearly had more innings, maybe more wins, and probably more strikeouts added onto that tally if you wanted to include fall ball. Well, the only difference would be like anything we do in the fall, which is like a scrimmage or um, it's never like official. Like mm-hmm. it never counted in a win loss record. So we would play local JUCOs and, and things like that. We would do inner squad stuff. Um, but you know, going into it, that's strictly more of a practice function. Yeah. Um, th- those competitions aren't being, you know, um, they're not contributing to our, to our overall statistics, mm-hmm. but yeah, to, yeah, there's, there's certainly, I think any baseball player, you think of like bullpens and side work and, and all the stuff you do away from the game, you're certainly going to have a lot more, uh, you know, at bats, innings pitch than, than the numbers may mm-hmm. certainly indicate. Wow. Well, uh, last thing, and, uh, we're going to let you go on this episode. And that is, is that after your season, senior year of college, you were drafted in the 25th round of the 2010 Major League Baseball draft by the Atlanta Braves. And what I read is that it said at the time of graduation, you're the only Fisher player to be drafted by a Major League Baseball team. Mm-hmm. Has anybody since then been drafted, or you still remain the only uh, player to be drafted by a Major League Baseball team? I am not the only player drafted. Uh, anymore. It was relatively shortly after in 2016, I want to say, we had another pitcher uh, mm-hmm. that got drafted. Uh, his name was Mark Eisenecker. Um, and he did it after his junior year. So he uh, he sped up the timeline a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I bust his chops a little bit. I say he got drafted sooner in his career, but I went in the 25th round and he went in the 28th round. So... <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a I think it's a wash, all yeah. things considered. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> but. Well, Dan, I, I really uh, you know appreciate you coming on the the episode and and spending some time with us uh, today to talk um, about your background and mm-hmm. about your history. I know you're going to come back next week uh, for another episode with us. We're gonna we're gonna pick up off where uh, where we left off here it was uh, your your draft, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, and all things considered, but again, you know, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah thank you, for, Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys uh, for for asking some some really cool, insightful questions that I've never really had the chance to answer before. So I, I appreciate it. All right. Well, uh, Andrew, you know, I think that'll that'll do it for for this particular episode. Uh, thanks for coming on and uh, hosting it with me, man. I really appreciate it. And and once again, man, welcome to the family. Yeah, thanks again, Ben. Thanks. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. I'm so happy to be here. All right. Well, um, that'll do it for this episode. As always, I am your host, Ben. I'm Andrew. And you have yourself a great day wherever you are at. Peace out. Peace out.